Greetings, adventurers, and welcome to the Mike Flares podcast. And in the words of the ancient philosopher M. Mathers, you only get one shot. Do not let Mr. Chance the blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. Because today we're talking about one shots. Hey! <laughs> How are you? Uh, you- you you told me I'd like to I'd like your intro this week and you know what you were right I do that was very good <laughs> and joining me as always you just heard is your other host Connor O'Brien how are we doing today Connor I'm good hello folks welcome to the Mike Flair's podcast slash uh, rap uh, podcast no never. Um, stay stay tuned <laughs> for the for the end where Martin is going to rap for an entire two minutes solid uh, I, freestyle I I am about as white as this shirt I'm wearing so no. <laughs> That ain't gonna happen. But I also realize, for our audio listeners, Martin is wearing a white shirt. I did say it, I did say <laughs> it was white, but okay. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm just cool. narrating. I'm painting a picture. No, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. There's a bit of red on this shirt too. Fun fact: that's actually the old Norse for heathen. Nice. Yes, one of my favorite shirts. Uh, Razor very, Storm. Very on brand for you. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, Razor Storm. They do really cool Viking and gym Viking kind of gym gear and like t-shirts and stuff like that. So for anyone looking at, give it that shot. Um, but yeah. What's the crack on her? How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. Um, we're having another mm, short heat wave here in Limerick, in Ireland, again. <laughs> um, I don't know if you folks know this out there in the white world, but Irish people do not deal well with the heat. No, um, they've also lost the my... gigantic fans behind the both of us if you're watching the YouTube video. Yeah, right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, other than that, do pretty well. It's nice, it is nice to have the sunshine, but my God, is it is it humid and just awful. Mm-hmm. Um, sleeping is hard. My office is a sweat box and I hate it. Um, but I, I brave that storm for for the good of our of all 31 of our subscribers out there. <laughs> and we, we care about each and every one. That is true. Each and every one of you. Love each. Love you all. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man. Any, any news? Any crack? What's going on? Uh, we had some interesting stuff happening in D and D this week, and um, we managed to get back. Yeah. If you want to have a chat about that, I'm totally down because it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, we had a good session. Um, we we took some. Uh, if you guys watched our uh, last week's episode, we did some downtime. Um, so we kind of uh, we caught up on our downtime mm. last week's episode, then went into a little bit of. Um, of kind of like investigation stuff around town uh in the city that you guys are in um and then it, the session ended with you guys discovering a magical mirror and having uh uh captain elise patara who is the uh, one of the imperial captains here in town she got snatched by a a, a metal gauntleted hand and ripped through a portal which you know the mirror was a portal uh and because then you guys jumped into pursuit so you guys ended up in a a plane of mine, um, kind of a homebrew plane called Labidia, um, which is derived from the Latin word for lust. Um, yeah, and it I, is I figured the... it was like libido that it was it, it was based off. Yeah, yeah, that's what. I, yeah, exactly. Um, and it is uh, the realm of Azabranth. The I always get what I what I always, I, I give most of my demons and devils like a, a title of they are the duke of this or they are the the lady of such or whatever you know um yeah well like i, I can't remember what, what as a brand was it's on my notes somewhere i believe um, it's he's, the demon prince of intoxication um uh it's it's hedonism and debauchery are his his um domains um but I can't remember if he's a duke or if he is the the prince or I'm, the. I'm like ninety percent sure it was a prince. He was he was a prince. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But either way, he is he is basically uh, a 
a crazy, crazy sex demon. Um, but also, um, like, just any anything that involves, like, um, uh, giving into or, 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 you know, taking away inhibition and giving into your desires. So it might be someone who wants to just absolutely stuff their face with cake and sweets and stuff like that. And he's like, I'll just strip away that bit of inhibition you have as to why you shouldn't do that and then you can do the thing you want to do because he feels like he's doing people justice by taking away inhibition he sees inhibition as the enemy of like all all people because like if your if your body if your mind if your heart is telling you you want this thing you should have that thing i will take away the inhibitions that prevent you from doing it so whether it's drugs alcohol food sex whatever he will take away your inhibition and just allow you to to in like engorge in whatever your your habit is uh, and then he just gets satisfaction knowing that he he thinks he's doing the the, the universe justice uh, as a result but he's uh, very much not because it destroys lives and, and people's health and stuff like that there's a um, there, there's a lot in common between your demon prince and my relationship with a bottle of uh, vodka when i was 17. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they have uh yeah him uh he he's kind of like um uh alcohol personified yeah uh, and just stripping away that inhibition um but yeah so he is obviously he is a, a demon lord um you guys are in like a, a subplane of libidia um where there is um uh, you're in a huge glass sphere on a kind of floating uh, black rock island uh, with sand pouring down from a column in the sky, kind of like um, an hourglass, but not quite. There's no upper chamber. Mm. It just drops from the sky in the middle of a, of this area. And then it hits and it flows all out to the outer edges. Um, and in the middle, there is a kind of palace built in just adjacent to the column. Uh, and the place is full of like serpents. Um, and the uh, outside is full of like serpents of various kinds. So you guys fought um, some basilisks. Uh, you fought some mm. na a naga, a couple of, one naga spirit naga and a couple of bone nagas, um, and then you got into the palace, um, and there was just demons everywhere doing all manner of filthy hedonistic things with one another. Um, it was like an episode you, of Skins. It was it was like an episode of Skins, um, yeah, on on cocaine maybe. That was most episodes of Skins also. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you can imagine an episode of Skins, yeah. that's not where people are on cocaine, and then you put the episode on cocaine as well. That's been... <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it was uh, just a crazy, crazy demon party, and you guys were kind of... No one really bothered questioning you guys. You kind of like... You know, they, they as long as they can continue doing what they're doing, and you're not preventing them from drinking and, and smoking and eating and all that kind of stuff, and they're not going to stop you. Um, and then you managed to find uh, Captain Patara being held uh, prisoner by uh, an Erinus, mm -hmm. um, who you guys recognized as this is a, an adventure you did a while back when you first got to Temurai. There was a, um, a, a very popular brothel in town called the Enchanting Sphinx. Um, and you guys went in there, found out it was a, basically a, the center of a drug operation, um, killed the, the proprietor who turned out to be like, a, she was a, a Cambian at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, she's an Aranist now. Um, Great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, and a bunch of her like succubi followers and stuff like that. Um, so you killed all them. You took some of their gold from their vault. Uh, you destroyed the, the source of all the drugs and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, but obviously she would appear to be back for revenge. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to fighting her in this. Like, I, I wouldn't know its stats exactly or its abilities exactly, but I've looked over it once or twice because I, like I think they came up in Critical Role campaign one towards the end as well. 
And I just See, thought, I think when they were in the city of Brass, yeah, maybe or I, something like that. I think like they like, I think yeah. they might have fought one or two of them and, and or with the pit fiend or something like that. But yeah, it was familiar. uh it was they were just they're just really cool. Like they're like they're literally like big mad like armored demon women with like like three swords and fucking longbow and stuff. They're really, yeah. really cool and they have some really cool abilities. They have like a really cool parry ability, I seem to remember. Um, I think so. I'd have to look at their stat block again, but yeah, they're they're really powerful. Yeah. They're, um, they're very very powerful. And like, um, I'm, I'm super super up for fighting that. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, it's going to be it's because it's not just that. It's that and there's like two other demons and then there's like a, an evil necromancer as well. I think. Uh, herself, two of her cambian followers, and uh, and a necromancer, a human necromancer, who you guys were searching for in the first place. So you get wrapped up in all this. Do we have um, to bring her back alive? I can't remember. Uh, no, I believe I, I believe Patara specified um, just that she be stopped. Um, you, you don't have to capture her necessarily. Excellent. Stopped, we can definitely do. <laughs> yes, yes. Stopped, stopped is definitely an option. Capture yeah, is um... a little more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't really do non-lethal. Yeah. Those two words don't go together for us. Um, we have a preference on hyphenating that we, we'd rather not, if, uh, if at all possible. So... <laughs> Oh yeah, but it was it was a good one though. It was a good one. It was really fun to get back and like that that like area you 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 have us in the kind of like an hourglass but not an hourglass kind of thing. It's like this floating glass orb with the sand piling through it, and then all like all the fucked up like there's like a load of teeth in the set. Uh, uh, ten minutes, Connor. I swore. Uh, there's a load. <laughs> there's a load of teeth. There's like a load of teeth. Yeah, we're good. The, we're good. There's like a load of teeth in the sand. Uh, there's like oh also just snakes everywhere which i was such a fan of i really really appreciated it uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's a lot it's long been known yeah little tip folks don't let your dm know what your fears are martin is on a snakes uh, i repeatedly put him into our campaign to mess with him <laughs> it's I, um, I, I can't help you no one because every time you put snakes in our game i'm like <laughs> like i visibly react like they're so yeah. i i hate them right and the reason I, I i think i figured out the reason why i hate them and it was when i was explaining it to another person who hates snakes right snakes are basically a big long muscle to propel a fucking hideous mouth at you <laughs> That's actually a very good way to think about snakes it's a long muscle with a mouth on <laughs> that that's literally all they are is a muscle to propel a mouth and it's horrifying even though i hate the way they move like they, they're so fat it's like so fast and jerky and like oh no stop i can't i can't <laughs> i can't yeah. let's talk about one shots before i bother myself anymore <laughs> it's uh it's it is worth noting that um uh, for anyone out there considering using some of your your players fears uh, know the difference between something that your player finds creepy and something that your player is genuinely not able to deal with. Yes. Martin is creeped out by snakes, but I know that even though it bugs him, and I, I do use it to wind him up, he is not put off so much that he's uncomfortable while we play, and that's an important distinction to make. Yes, I am, um, because... I, I am not actually afraid, I just hate them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the same way that, like, if if if, uh, if I was playing a game and someone put, like, a bunch of spiders... Which I did or... by accident one day. <laughs> Which you did. Uh, or, or, like, um, like... Do you know what? Do you know what actually freaks me out? It's certain movements freak me out. If you were to ever describe a spider, some sort of spider creature moving at me in the way that a face hugger moves, that yeah, would creep yeah. me out. Not in a bad way, just in a way that I'd be like, "Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm getting a reaction to this, and I like it. It's, it's definitely creeping me out." And I think this is yeah. what the environment should do, uh, because face huggers move like they don't know where they want to go. Their <laughs> muscles are flailing so yeah. wildly. They're like, they're, have you ever seen like, um, like a dog when they get so excited? 
because maybe you have a ball or some food or you you grab their lead and they're like walk walk <laughs> and they they don't just walk over to you and let you put the lead on you do that thing when they pounce around and they can't decide that they go are they coming are they going that's a face hugger because he's like oh my god a face oh my god a face and he's his limbs are just flailing wildly and he's like i can't keep it together because it's a face and i love hugging face. yeah the thing that the thing that messed me up the most about the face huggers wasn't necessarily their movement but you know in the first one where the face hugger gets John Hurt and it does it by breaking through his fucking space helmet and attaching itself mm. to his face. Like, that thing is strong enough to resist space. Can yeah. you can you imagine being inside that helmet when the face hugger is like just cracking its way through your space helmet like three inches ahead of you? And you can't take it off because if you take it off, then you're like double screwed. Actually, that raises a good point because... I'd have to go back and watch Aliens again. But in the first movie, yeah, you're right. It breaks through his his visor. But in the second film, then when they go into the lab and they find out that they had a bunch of them samples of them, mm. um, one of them is in the container. I remember, I remember Ripley goes right up close and then it goes boom, up against the glass and it, it's trying to get to her, but it can't get through the glass. I I don't know which of those glasses would be more sturdy, like a, a containment unit unit thing, maybe. You'd, you'd imagine narratively the leap they want you to make is that this is a a lab designed specifically for like the growth and collect or like whatever of you know, the study of these creatures. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's designed that nothing yeah. can get out. Yeah. Maybe, but so maybe it's like specially built to contain a face hugger because if you're studying them, you definitely know what they can and will do to you if they get out. I think in this one though they stumble across them, same as the first one. It's not until the fourth movie, which by the way is just a trip <laughs> is that uh, which one is that again it's it, resurrection oh god that's the one no that's a such a bad movie <laughs> it's uh, do you know what i get over a lot of stuff in resurrection um like like the fact that ripley is half alien and her blood is also acid and stuff i, I and that she's like superhuman now yeah i'm like okay look it was the 80s slash 90s or whatever movies just did this you had to find a way to escalate it my biggest issue with that movie i actually like it for the most part even though it is a bad movie it's a good bad sci-fi movie if that mm. makes sense yeah i get what you uh, mean particularly because that, that one guy in the wheelchair had all his wheelchair parts that uh, assembled into a shotgun so when they brought him onto the station they're like any weapons and he's like no nope, got no weapons just my old wheelchair here but then he'd slide off a nut from this thing and a little rail from the handle and stuff like that, and he put it all together and it's a shotgun and you're like oh my god yeah. um but uh, but the thing I hate the most is um, the design of the human alien hybrid at the end. Oh, it's awful! It has it's, the it's, eyes. It it's, it has these weirdly sad human eyes, and it's really fleshy and disgusting. And like, I'm like, you could have made a really cool. You could have put a person in a suit comfortably, uh, but then just given them all the kind of um, matte black armor that the uh, xenomorphs have and stuff like that so it looks like a humanoid xenomorph instead you took the human outer part and put it over a xenomorph to make them look all fleshy and weird yeah and sad and it has this weird nose thing that i i, I hate it it's the worst design thing ever and honestly i can't watch that final it's not even that i'm grossed out by it it's just i feel like i can't look at it and really take it seriously i don't like it yeah it did it that thing that film did not do good things Two or four Ripley. <laughs> no, no, not at no, all. Not um, at all. I, th I think there's a weird scene towards the end where it's like cradling her as well. Yeah. They both realize that they're they're both half xenomorph, half human or whatever. No, it's like it recognizes her as her mother because 
the alien queen that give birth to the they've seen this movie too many times for how bad it is <laughs> but like Ripley is half human half alien but so is the alien queen that was gestating inside her so that like the alien queen gets a human reproductive system and it gives birth right. and like it gives birth to the the human alien hybrid and it like rips its way out of the queen and kills the queen and then like it re- no sorry it rips away, it like gets born and then it doesn't recognize the queen as its mother it recognizes Ripley as its mother Yes. It kills, yeah, the, it, it kills yeah. the queen, doesn't it? It kills the queen, yeah, it kills the queen. Mm-hmm. And then, like, it, when it sees Ripley, it tries to, like, nestle into her. And she, like, plays along with it so that she can cut her hand on its tooth. Because she's got acidic blood as well now, because she's half alien. Yeah, yeah. And she, like, splats it on the window outside while protecting... And then it gets While, while protecting Winona Ryder, Ryder, the cyborg. Um, And she, like, yeah, yeah she, <laughs> and the thing gets, like, sucked through this, like, penny-sized hole. Um, that's not a penny. That's like a penny, <laughs> a penny-sized <laughs> hole in the thing, which is a pretty cool death for a, a pretty, pretty awful-looking monster. Yeah, it's um. Oh, I, I have no problem with the, with the way they killed it. That was all cool. Like I, I, I do love the movies. The third one's a bit eh, lackluster, as the, is the, the fourth. The fourth tried to be more, yeah. but then ended up kind of overshooting the mark a little bit. Yeah. The first two uh, are perfect, though. The first oh, two are damn near yeah. perfect films. And while we've been talking about this, it actually just occurred to me either alien or both alien and aliens would make fantastic plots for a one shot yeah absolutely particularly because do, do you know why they would and it's we I, we've probably talked about this before when it comes to because we've talked about horror a few times on on and doing horror in your of D&D course campaign. we have i'm one of the hosts <laughs> <laughs> um but like when it comes to um when it comes to horror when whenever you're watching a horror film the scariest part of a horror film is everything before you've seen the monster. As soon as you see the monster, the mystery is kind of gone and you're like, I know what it looks like and stuff like that. Once you know too much about the creature, it loses its mm. it loses its scariness because you're like, okay, I now understand its limitations. That's why ghosts are really, really scary for me because I'm like, ghosts don't have to obey any rules. You know, <laughs> if, if if you're like in a, in a slasher movie, and some guy, for the most part, don't get me wrong, these movies take the piss sometimes as well. But if you're in a slasher movie and you're being chased by the slasher, a big guy with a, with a hatchet, and he's coming after you, and you close a door and throw a wardrobe in front of it, and there's literally no other like entrances or exits in the room bar the door you just barricaded, you could be pretty confident that you're safe in this room. You just can't leave it. No, no. But like, <laughs> Go see it. I'm sure the plot would require like the phone rings in the hallway and they're like, oh no, I have to answer that. It's the cops. And if I don't answer it, they won't come or something. You know, you, you make a reason why they have to leave the room. Um, but some, something like that, you're like, okay, they're safe in the room. They're safe as long as they're in that place. The problem is with like ghosts and stuff is that like, ghosts don't have to obey any of those rules. A ghost can like, can like appear in a doorway and like, or chase someone down a corridor and they might slam the door and, you know, barricade with a, a wardrobe or something like that and you're like oh thank god and the ghost could just appear over their shoulder and you don't you, you don't have to question it because it's a ghost it it doesn't have to make sense you know um that is true so it's it's, it's that the lack of rules that you can take with something like that um but i think it's the same in the same way playing a one shot in, in the vein of alien where like a, a single deadly monster gets loose maybe in a keep or something it doesn't, doesn't have to be a spaceship uh could be like in a keep or on, or on a ship crossing like an ocean or something like that that'd be cool and even an airship uh, or an airship um or you could do something like um uh if it was what was i gonna say or like aliens i suppose you could do like oh this entire town 
everyone just disappeared overnight. You guys are some knights that were sent in to find out what happened to everyone. Turns out there's a nest of monsters under the town, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, if I think particularly for uh, less experienced players, that would be very interesting because obviously when you play the game for long enough, you know most of the monsters. And at a certain point, you'll mention that this thing has this feature and someone will go, oh, okay, it's either this or this. And someone will put it together. But if you have players who have never played before, man, players who have never played the game before are, and I, I almost curse. I might as well. They they're bloody trees. That's what they are. Um, because I'm, I might as well um, curse. They're they're a bloody tree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to cut back in the podcast as much as I can. Yeah, I know. Um, Me too. Um, but yeah, the, the uh, players who have never played before are an absolute treat, and uh, to tie it back in, one-shots are a great way to introduce players to the game for the first time, particularly if they're not sure if they are interested in playing D&D, because &D, you, you never know. It's it's definitely, if you've never played any tabletop games before, um, and you're coming from a realm of video games, or maybe not even video games, uh, a one-shot is, is definitely the best way to go about it, to sit uh, a group down for three to five hours and go cool here's a little adventure we'll go through you guys make characters um and then they and, and try to make it so that they get a feel for all of the um all of all the uh, words so that they get a feel for all the mechanics and stuff like that you know put some traps in put some stories some some social stuff in put some combat in all that jazz yeah absolutely you, you cover you actually covered a lot of stuff i wrote down when i was trying to think of like notes for this and stuff and, and kind of what i wanted to talk about which is yeah one shots i think are one of the best tools you have for introducing new players like fresh fresh new players like someone who's never played D, &D before maybe not even like mm -hmm. watch like critical role or like any other D, &D live stream or and like did they're completely fresh to the game but kind of have heard about it through like because it's, it's very much pop culture now like like to the point where like when i was starting in my current job they were like oh by the way there's like uh uh i can't remember it's like some kind of a role-playing thing that's going on and i didn't i just i didn't want to on the first day be like i'm the D, &D guy but like there's she was like i think it's oh dungeons and dragons that was it and i was like oh really yeah that's cool <laughs> But like that's yeah, like yeah. that. I think I've heard of it. Not yeah. like have a podcast about it or anything. But like that's how mainstream it's gotten now. So most people like to the point where there's like work at like work after work D and D games in in certain companies now. So like, I think most people are in generally have at least heard of the game. Like even if it's only like on a on a TV show where they're taking the piss out of people for playing Dungeons oh, and Dragons. Oh god, I hate the Big Bang Theory so much. Oh god, I hate. I'm gonna stop myself now. You're gonna stab myself right no, now. No, no, go on a rant because it makes me seem less crazy when I talk about uh, about people. Right. <laughs> so the Big Bang Theory started out like pretty good. I actually really enjoyed like the first or second season because that was still around the time when like nerd culture wasn't quite the zeitgeist. It was like kind of just getting up there, and like Big Bang yeah. Theory had a lot of like comic comic references, and they made a lot of jokes and stuff that like I got as like both a comic book nerd and a D and D nerd, and like Jesus, that went off a cliff. That went off a cliff so... I remember, like, two years later, after I stopped watching Big Bang Theory, I walked into... I like, was visiting my parents, and I walked into the sitting room, and Big Bang Theory was on the TV, and Leonard was in the Antarctic for some reason, and he was about to, like, ask Penny to marry him, and then a giant tentacle took him off the boat, and I was just like... What happened to this show? <laughs> I felt very much like Troy from Community when he comes in and like with the pizzas and everything and is just on fire. on fire but instead yeah, of yeah. fire it's just raw sewage everywhere that's how i feel about big bang theory <laughs> i i just felt like i feel like a lot of the jokes 
uh, lose their their mileage for me, their luster very quickly. Like, uh, like they 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 play off the fact that Raj is like foreign an awful lot, and I'm like, we get it. He's from a different country. That's not that funny. Like, yeah, fair enough. Make one joke about it, but like every single episode, or like he can't foreign, talk to girls. He can't talk to girls unless he's drunk. When he's drunk, he's an arsehole. Um. Then there's the like Sheldon, who's just like a re- and just turning into a really kind of messed up portrayal of people on the spectrum at one point and stuff as well. Yeah, like Sh- Sheldon seem- is someone who kind of seems like he's on the spectrum, but they kind of play that off for laughs. And I'm yeah. kind of like, eh, I'm not yeah, sure yeah. about that. And then like, who's the other fella? Uh, Howard. Who is his um, just a sexual predator? Should a, he should be on a registry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm like the stuff he says and does in that show. And I'm like, why are you friends with this guy? He might do something seriously illegal at some point. Like, <laughs> oh, God. oh, he just made... and, and then also, Leonard, just Leonard is shit. kind of the he's your typical baseline in any of these kind of shows with a bunch of characters. He's your he's relatively normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like the the show does things and like, do you know what it was? I think what put me off the show as well is that, like, I I'd go to my parents' house and they'd be watching just whatever's on TV and occasionally my dad would watch The Big Bang Theory. And like they'd make a joke, and like someone would say like, "Oh, at least he's not speaking Klingon." And then someone would say something like, "In Klingon," and then that's the joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like my dad would like look at me like, Haha, "This is your people," and I'm like, <laughs> I, I, "I don't even want Star Trek." No, no, Dad, our people take their those people's lunch money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but like metaphorically, we're not bricks. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, I mean, like, it's it's not even that. It's just like that's people would laugh at the show and then point at me and go, "Haha, that's you." And I'm like, after a certain point, that just gets really old really fast because like the jokes aren't funny. The joke is they like a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, like if, if if I don't know if Penny walked in and it's it, it's not I, okay. I'm gonna be, I'm getting way too deep on this whole thing here now because it's like if this was. Obviously, for a very long, you watch any movies from like the eighties, nineties, or noughties. Um, any movie from that time, from those time periods, if someone is smart, they're a loser. Like you know, they answer a question in class, and someone would go, huh, "Dork," and like that's because it's bad to be smart, apparently. Uh, the the um, famous nerd from The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, uh, but that was brilliant though, because he does that, oh, and everyone's oh, like, he was what's, what's, "What's wrong like, with that man?" <laughs> Yeah, he's like, he's, what's it, did you guy, or he says to the other fellow afterwards, hey, buddy, did you see that nerd? He's like, excuse me? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, pardon me. Um, but, like, like the thing is, like, it's just a weird whole, like, it, it, the Big Bang Theory kind of felt like if it came out in the 90s, it would have been, don't get me wrong, it was successful. I feel like it caught the tail end of nerds being the joke, the bot of the joke, you know? Um, and I, I think it just about got in there. But if it had waited another five or six years, it would have been like, why are you making fun of all the fandoms and stuff that a lot of people really like? Thank you, Marvel. Um, <laughs> but yeah. uh, like, but I, I know it's a really weird holdover. I just feel like I I was done with the idea that I am a nerd. I can't talk to girls. <laughs> like, I think yeah. that was well and truly done in my head by the time the show rolled around. And I was like, Okay, so this isn't actually about nerds. This is a, like what, what's another show? Silicon Valley. I, I, uh, Silicon Valley is a show that you should watch if you actually are a nerd because the jokes they make are for nerds, whereas the jokes they make in Big Bang Theory are about nerds but for normies. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, 
I know, spiraling back to what we were actually talking about, which was... Uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. I told you to go off on a rant, and then I went off on a yeah. rant. Most, uh, it's fine. <laughs> but most, uh, so most people probably have heard of D&D, um, and, and so a lot of them won't, might, actually, some of them probably won't have much of an idea of what to do. Like, I've, I've often had, like, conversations, particularly a few years ago when I first started really getting into D&D with friends who don't play D&D, going, so explain D&D to me. Like, what is it you yeah. say? Like, and the amount of people who think you sit around a board... <laughs> <laughs> you think you sit around like a board like Monopoly or something um, the, people, the amount of people that think you dress up that's a requirement to dress up and put elf ears and a yep. cape on yep. or a cloak or whatever now, yeah when we played in person I did have two players who did wear elf ears <laughs> but that was just them that's just something they wanted to do and I'm like you know what you be you do you know what I'm I'm many years into my into my love of D&D now and I'm at a point where do you know what if I'm playing a wizard and I just ha- and it's I happen to own a cloak which I don't but if I did I'd bring it because I wouldn't get to wear it many other places. I think I think we played a D and D session back in the day, and in, in the campaign, me and you played in together um, on Halloween once. And I actually did come dressed as like Log. I had a Viking costume that looked was pretty similar to my Misty Armor. You made it stuff like that. Yeah. Didn't you? Oh, that was that was yeah. The axe I made for actually just Halloween, but like when we played D and D, I I remember I had gotten like these like really foggy white contact lenses to try and look like Lug when, when it was raging and I put them on and I looked through and I don't know why I thought I'd be able to see through them but I was like so I can't wear these gotta drive out and back tonight and like, took them out and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah most people anyway have probably heard about D&D if, even if they don't know how, it, how it's played so when it comes to trying to get them into the game like Connor was saying one shots are really good because you can just go mm-hmm. okay we sit down we will just briefly explain how things work in general to you and then we'll all start from the same point in the story and we'll just go forward and then that way if you bump up, bump up against anything or run into anything that's going, that you're not sure of or don't know what or how to do the DM and all of the other players if they're experienced players can help out it's it's one of the things whenever I'm I'm and I do vlog D&D to people whenever I'm vlogging D&D to new people and I'm like no like, I can, they're like oh but how I don't even I don't know the rules or the best one, the best part about D and D is you absolutely do not need to know the rules before going in. You need to have a basic grasp of how a story works. There was a man. The man climbed up the mountain. On the top of the mountain, there was a dragon. He killed the dragon. At the end. Like, you need to have a very basic understanding of 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 how humans behave, if even, um, not always humans, sometimes gnomes, um, but uh, but yeah, like that's all you need, like going in, because the thing is. You can just the D. That's kind of what the DM is there for. The DM is to be there to be your coach and to be and to kind of guide you and stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you turn to the DM and goes, "Oh, that guy just stole my coin purse. Um, I have a sword. Can I like attack him with my sword?" You go, "Yeah, roll this one here and add that to it and tell me what you get." <laughs> and like that, and that's the thing. The DM will tell you the rules as opposed to some other games that are like competitive where it would be detrimental for certain people to mm-hmm. explain to their com- opponent how the rules work because then they end up. Yeah. You're like helping the people you're meant to be beating, kind of. But with D and D, it's it's so collaborative that um, it's it's really really great that you can just go in blind, and as long as you're listening to what the DM is telling you, and the DM is saying, so this is currently happening. What would you like to do? And like, I'd like to do this. They'll tell you exactly what dice to roll, and it's why it's why and like a one shot as well. Uh, it's it's not that much. It, it's one evening, mm. you know. It, it's a single evening. And you can try it out, and if you don't like it, that's fine, no problem. Um, it's also not like a bit a huge, like I feel like some people might be like, oh, why don't you like come and, and I don't know, try out for this uh, a sport or, or 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 join this club with me or something like that, you know? 
and then you go and you have to go to a place you're not familiar with and you might have to wear certain clothes when you go or bring certain equipment and all that whereas D&D is like come over to my house for four hours on Thursday evening there and we'll play a game and uh, it, it's just it's just very casual in how mm. it is like you're not expected to do anything out of the ordinary you sit around a table you most you basically sit around a table and talk the only thing is you talk about what your character is doing yeah um and it's i think the bar of entry is so so low for like a one shot particularly because i most dms wouldn't expect you to if, you, if you're a new player and you're joining a one shot most dms wouldn't expect you to have a mini they wouldn't expect you to have dice they'll provide most of that for you so it, it's a great way just to get a feel for the game yeah. uh, and then decide whether or not it is for you and i've had people go both ways um when it comes to that i've run one shots where uh people have said oh that was it was good i wouldn't play it regularly but it was good and i've had other one shots with other people have been like that's really really good i can't wait to play again kind of thing so yeah i think that's the good thing about one shots is that there's like everyone like if if you're if it's a new person coming into a, a play group for a one shot like if you're usually if you're do, running a one shot for say like you're usually a group of four and then like you get a fifth member just to someone who just wants to try D for the first time they're in for the one shot yeah like with a one shot there's there's not the pressure of all this backstory built up from the, the yeah. ongoing campaign and what you have to remember and then like trying to if like if someone's coming like i've had it put forward like people will like want to know what dnd is like and they'll show up and they'll watch the group play and then like so much of the session ends up like the first like half an hour of the session ends up being like okay so just so you know where we are Blah, 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 and it's like a 15 minute lore dump and then the person just sitting there going uh-huh 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 okay and it goes okay and that's what's going on now and then you go okay let's go on with the story and then you add just even more to that pile that that person has to get to. yeah yeah where if it's a one shot everyone starts from base you might like you can even like scale it towards levels i usually just because um of just because of how long i've been playing now if i'm running a one shot i'll usually like to give them around give it like around like oh yeah everyone level to like make a level 10 character or something like that because i feel like that gives it level 10 or 11 because i feel like that kind of gives everyone a little taste of like all of the abilities and some of the higher tier ones so you can do some really fun stuff but isn't like super overwhelming for like someone who's very new but if someone is very very new i might start at level three uh i i usually if it's a new group i usually start at five um because for me five is really where most characters open up it's where most your magical characters get their second attack it's where your spellcasters get their third level spell slot so you have a decent amount of spell slots ready to go and you get a bunch and then maybe six at a push and depending on how how i think people will react If, if, if i feel people may struggle with the rules or i don't want to overwhelm them i feel like five is a good level where you have some of your racial stuff going on mm-hmm. some of your background stuff going on and then your third level and potentially a fourth level asi or feet or something that's all you really need to worry about when you hit sixth level and onwards you're talking about having additional class so subclass features and stuff like that i don't like to uh to uh uh what's what i'm looking for bear people down weigh people down you know what i mean um yeah because you cut i because it's too much so i feel like five is a good level where for me even when I play a game, if I play a campaign, I feel like five is when any campaign hits its stride. Because you feel like you have enough health points that you can do a couple of encounters a day. Mm. Um, you're not super squishy anymore, but you're also not overpowered to the point where you're, you know, your DM is throwing adult dragons and stuff at you and all that jazz. 
Um, so that's that. I, I aim for five personally. That's my that's kind of my kind of preference when it comes to a one shot. I think I said ten there because pretty much all of the most recent one shots I've ran have been for like the likes of yourself and our, our other the other members of our, our D&D oh, yeah. group. So like I was like yeah, just make like level ten or eleven characters just so we can all have fun because we all know what we're doing. Um, even if it's yeah. a new class, we'd be able to, usually be able to pick up kind of the rules and the way it works pretty quickly. But yeah, just I like. I think that's one of the main reasons why I really like one shots for new for new players though is that you can really everyone kind of starts at the same level and you can kind of just go through you can adjust it to how many features you want them to play with and how much they need you want to burden a, a player with having to understand and learn because really yeah. you said like you don't need to know the rules which is totally true the DM is basically the rule book incarnate um, uh, who occasionally references another smaller rule book uh, but like uh, so you don't need to know everything at the very lead at the very the very least if you want to like know how your character works like that's that's cool or like at least know or like know like maybe like what your character is like supposed to do like whether you're like a range fighter or like a melee fighter or something like that yeah or just like just be, just kind of like be vaguely familiar with the character and the character sheet and then anything you're unsure of you can ask the dm or the other players and they'll all help you and i think that's such a good like way to start when it's like a collaborative effort of everyone to kind of help you out and get the atmosphere good and make sure you're having as much fun as possible like I think that's like a really really good way to get into D and D, and I think that's why like most people I've seen that play like I I know that have played like a one shot once they're like oh my god I have to do this again, like what yeah, like what yeah. what is like because that's how my campaign started was my was was my mate Steve was like hey man would you run like a, a one shot for for me and some of my friends and I was like yeah yeah sure I've never DM'd before uh, but uh, let's do it and like I ran the one shot and then like after two weeks he was like. I think it was like a few weeks anyway. It's been it's been literally like two or three year two or three years now at this stage. Um, yeah. He was like, yeah. Um, do you want to do like a campaign? Like we do, do and then like literally just spiral out, and here we are, like three years later now. Um, so like it, they can really just take on a life of their own. Um, and I think like so many for so many people, once they do just get a taste of D and D for the first time, they're like, okay, perfect. That's exactly that's exactly what I wanted. Please more. Homer in hell with the donuts. Give me more. Give me all the D and D. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think I have something to say about one shots a second ago. Not gone. I'm sure I'll remember it in a minute. Um, my brain's kind of fried today. Um, there was one thing I wanted to say about you're talk, talking about like a one shot kind of growing into a campaign that does occasionally happen. Uh, of course, with the the willingness of the DM, you know, the DM needs to yes. be. I've said this time and again, the DM, the DM needs to love the campaign they're running, otherwise nobody loves the campaign they're running, because the DM won't put their heart into it, and if their heart isn't in it, that that translates. People pick up on that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've talk, talked about this ages back in the podcast, uh, about a cam, uh, one shot I ran, uh, like myself and Gavin, mm-hmm. uh, Gavin put up on Facebook that he's like, has anybody got a spare seat at a table, or is willing to run a one shot session for us? Um, and I messaged back, uh, and I don't get in years, but we never really hung out. But I was like, yeah, I'll run him. I'll happily run a one shot for you. I love D&D. I'll happily do it. So I ran a one shot for him, his partner, uh, and two friends of theirs. And um, it was it was really, really fun. They all caught on really quickly. It was, it was probably the most surprising one shot I ever ran because everybody was so invested and... And they all kind of got the role play thing super quickly as well, which is that I feel I find that to be a hurdle with new players sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it, it was really, really good. And then there was uh, that ended up becoming a like a short trilogy of one shots because at the end of it, I had one of the most surprising things ever, where one of the players betrayed not not so much betrayed, but was kind of like 
everyone's kind of like, oh, we have the artifact. Do we give it to this guy? He seems super sketch. And then he kind of revealed that he was super sketch. And he kind of managed to, I was going to say he, me, as him, uh, managed to convince one of the players, like, you know, we're both high elves. We both don't like humans, both necromancers. I feel like we could work well together if you'd be willing to work with me. And then, to my surprise, she was like, sure. And it's like, cool, Dimension Doorway. <laughs> and then it was like, it was like, oh my god, that was, like, I didn't see that coming. I didn't plan for that at all. Um, it's going to be fun like, when we kill the shit out of her in a campaign. I've <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought about, I, I, I have, the thought that's crossed my mind about, about introducing her character from the one-shots into our main game, because it all takes place in the same, not just the same universe, but about the same country as well that you guys yeah. are currently in. Actually, the same city, technically, because you're in Temurai. That, that that mission started and ended in Temurai. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I uh, like that took me completely by surprise, and I I, I left that session absolutely buzzing. That one shot, um, I thought it was one of the best one shots I ever ran. I was so thrilled with it um, that I was like, hmm, what would happen to like if she did join up with him? Would there be like more? What kind of stuff would they get up to? And then I was like, okay, I have two other loose ideas for one shots if you guys are interested in making this a trilogy mm -hmm. uh, and they, thankfully they were I mean ended up playing out a really cool trilogy from with the same heroes just three separate sessions probably I don't know a month or two apart each um, but every time we came back people got straight back into character and I, I leveled them up once each thing so they started on five and they ended on seven or whatever um, and they ended up fighting some like corrupted angels and cool. uh they killed a, a shadow dragon i think at one point as well and some yuan t um i gave one of the characters uh, a horn that if you if you it's like just this long kind of war horn but if you blow it it summons an air elemental Ooh, um that's cool and she she very cleverly used that to like uh she was trapped on the far side of a bridge that had just collapsed by herself and there was a bunch of yuan t going for her and she was invisible and she's like, I can't stay here because, uh, uh, what, what's it called? Um, Allison? No. Um, what are the, the sixth arm snake demon? Uh, um, Marit? That's a, no, that's, oh, a Marilith. Marilith, that's it, yeah. yeah. Uh, there was a Marilith that, that was leading these UNT, and when she, uh, and it, she was fine until, with all the UNT, she was invisible, it was fine. But Marilith's her true sight. Oh, no. So the Marilith came out and looked right at her. And she was like, oh, no. So she blew the horn, and, she, and she's like, and my air elemental picks me up and whirls me back across to the other side of the bridge away from these people. <laughs> That's awesome. I love creative uses of magic items like that. It was really, really good. Um, but I think... Well, yeah, it was, it, it's like... Like you said, it, it's it's nice when a one-shot evolves into something more. Um, one-shots can be great just by themselves as well. Um, uh, but it, it is nice when you kind of... I don't know. It's just nice to see when something that you intend to be this thing takes on a whole other life of of its own. Completely. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, that's that's the story of Critical Role yeah. as well, because that we talked about it before. Some people listening might know. Um, Critical Role started as a uh, a special one shot for Liam O'Brien's birthday that he asked Matt Matt Mercer to run. He's like, "You you're a head, you're a really good DM. Would you run a one shot? I haven't played in years. I'd love to play D and D again." Uh, and he was like, yeah, sure. They ran a one-shot. I turned into a couple of sessions. That turned into a, a regular campaign they played at home. That turned into a show they streamed weekly for, what, three, four years now? That turned into a couple million dollars on Kickstarter. <laughs> thought, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all, all because Liam's like, will you run a one-shot for my birthday? So don't underestimate how one-shot. That's literally the meme where it's all the blocks and there's the small one and the gigantic one. Like The, the small one is, hey, Matt, will you run a one-shot for Liam's birthday? And the big one is, 
fastest and most funded Kickstarter of all time. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh god, I remember when that was happening and I was working, and like I would, I would like through my shift, I would just pull up the, the Kickstarter just to see how high it got, and it'd be like, okay, it's like holy crap, they have a million quid. Holy crap, they have two million quid. <laughs> I think they, what, yeah. they got like some what, like three or four or five million by the end of it. I think. I'm not sure. I I remember it. It's the. I don't think it was the highest funded Kickstarter ever. It was the highest funded digital content or something like that ever, which is still really, really cool. Or maybe um, like the, they were... the highest funded D&D related Kickstarter ever or something like that maybe. No, it was, it was broader because they had a thing. When they were closing out the, the Kickstarter, they were doing a live stream and they had the previous record holder for the largest digital thing. And I want to say they were games developers. Okay. Um, So they funded a video game off of it. Um, but they guessed it on the thing and they, they happily passed the torch on and goes, not you guys did very well and stuff, which was nice. It's very, very happy. Nice to see people not being angry with each other, but just being really like happy for each other, which is, like, which is a weird thing to say. It's nice. It's nice to see people yeah. happy for each other because you know, humans are so awful and that never normally happens. Well, I'd imagine given that they were the previous title holders, they probably got a good few million as well. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Like, and yeah. like, you know, that, that their project got funded and, and it's all, all well and good like i'm sure yeah. they're happy enough like that but, um uh, and, and cool of them to be invited as guests as well cute. you know yeah. but uh, something you said there just when you were talking about the session with uh the, the one shots you ran for gav there um triggered something in in me that i that i had written down here i think one of the best things about a one shot from a dm's perspective is it's they're basically like you're being let into the toy shop like you know you can go yeah awesome my uh, my creativity isn't limited to the world that I've created here. I can do mad, weird stuff that doesn't have to make sense and doesn't have to follow a plot line and doesn't have to be like, doesn't actually have to like go from like A to B to C and make sense in terms of like, you can just do weird stuff just for the sake of being weird. You can pick random weird monsters you've always wanted to use. Perfect example of that being that uh, our, our, our friend, our friend uh, Mike, he ran a one shot for us one day. And he just wanted to use a Tarask. Yeah, he just threw a Tarask in there, like yeah. it was frozen in amber or something like that. Yeah, it was like frozen in amber, like uh, like the fly in a in a Jurassic Park, just in mm -hmm. the middle of. It. I remember he was describing it, and all of us thought it, thought it was a dragon. Yeah, and he told us at like, and he he said he told us after the session, he he was like, oh, it's a good thing you didn't do this thing when you were in that cavern because that thing would have woken up and you would have had to fight it. And we were like, what kind of dragon was it? He was like, it wasn't, it was a Tarrasque. And we were like, it was a what? I, I'd like to say for you, he didn't say Tarrasque, he said Tarrasque. <laughs> he said Tarrasque or something. <laughs> and and I, I just think you remember being like, do you mean Tarrasque? And he was like, oh, that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> yeah. It's also pronounced death. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought oh, it was so just good. like a frozen ancient dragon and it turned out to be like this fucking Tarrasque-sickle in the middle of a mountain. Like, oh my God. Yeah. And I just think, remember, we were we got to, like that close to waking it up from what he said, like literally like that close to waking it up. And yeah. for for people who aren't watching the video, my fingers are very very close together. For the audio <laughs> listeners, Martin's fingers are very close together. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like perfect example of that is um, I ran I I think I've only done one, but I I've done a few uh, one shots based on like video games or books that I enjoy to kind of yeah you did a, a, a Dark Souls was it Dark it was a Dark Souls yeah, one for us I did uh, which I did, is a very good one I did the Dark Souls one and that was just I cobbled together various areas from the three games that I enjoyed 
um, and kind of strung them together in a way I thought made sense in like a and d context. And then as part of that, um, if you go, if you're, if you're ever looking for like interesting homebrew monsters and stuff, there, bear in mind there is the potential for them to be wildly unbalanced. Uh, if you go like if you go to Reddit and go to the Unearthed Arcana subreddit and start looking for like stat blocks from monsters from like books, comics, TV, whatever that you games, whatever that you enjoy, you'll probably find them because some some delightful soul went and made stat sheets for basically every boss monster in the first Dark Souls games, uh, in the first Dark Souls game. So I, I just really wanted to use them. And uh, then I was, then we were kind. Of, I think it was someone was out of town, or we were taking a break week for to give you a break. Uh, and I, just, I said I'd run a one shot, and I was like, "Oh, I get to use the giant spider lava lady." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was a lot of fun, and like I think it's it's a real fun way. To just do something completely different. Give give everyone like a complete breath of fresh air, and mm-hmm. like and just use some like weird monsters that you've never gotten to use and you've always wanted to. Um, and I think like it's just a lot of fun for the ends just be completely let off the chain because by design when you create a world you do put limitations in that world and only certain creatures will be here this will always lead to this and so this is how this storyline goes from A to B to C is in the middle points yeah uh, so like when it's a one shot and like oh this is just a an encapsulated closed ending adventure to be done in like four hours oh let's go let's go ape let's throw everything let's throw the whole like everything in the bag of holding in the kitchen sink at it let's go and like i just love that like open canvas to just go let's get weird yeah and i i strongly encourage anyone running one shots particularly for new players um obviously you can run one shots within your friends and and it's who are playing a while and it's it's good to have those one shots like you said where maybe you're in a campaign where it's primarily undead or primarily demons whatever and you really just want to break it up and, and try a different concept um i tend to run one shots in my own world always but maybe i'll just go to a very different part of the world like you're in a country called redalia which is like a kind of um uh a 17th century uh sorry 19th century kind of french motif mm-hmm. um and i mix with kind of like colonial america as well um but that's where i run the main campaign and then i ran a one shot for mike and a couple uh friends once and i put them across the sea in a country called rajang which is my um a tabaxi country and they have a long history of being dragon hunters so i i i let them be like associate members of a dragon hunters guild uh, with the potential for full membership um and i had them investigate these people going missing outside of town and then they found this cave and there was a bunch of at first they fought some lizard folk uh and then who were like worshiping dragons but then they found inside there was actual dragonborn um who were like taking care and caring for this unhatched uh, red dragon egg um and then when they got in they killed the dragonborn but then the egg hatched and they had to fight the hatchling dragon um and honestly it was it, it was a really really good session and it ended up being so grim because they very nearly died uh and then in the end they got back to town and they they lived they chased off the cultists and stuff like that and then as a result these uh tabaxi dragon slayer guilds uh like ancient order of knights uh granted them full membership into the guild so they're now like full-on dragon hunters that's awesome um but like it's fun that you can because like i in my previous campaign i i had you guys jumping around the world an awful lot Mm -hmm. i you guys are level 11 now and i've kept you you've only only once left well again not counting a couple of small excursions to the plain of water the shadow fell the fair wilds 
now, now uh, Lavidia. Um, you've you've had a few different other worlds, but you only ever go for like brief excursions and come back. Um, whereas anytime you spent in a material plane, you've only ever been in the one in the one country, bar one excursion to the north to Kaelda and back again. Yeah. But um, I purposely did that because I want to focus on an area and really build up an area. But one shots are great then because I'm like, I had this idea for this other section of the world. I'd like for you guys to see what it's like in terms of lore. And then I feel like if you're players on my regular campaign, uh, you'll get a kick out of seeing other parts. And you and it's not just like, like I, I, you could be playing in my main game in this one country in Redalia. And I can tell you about stuff that's happening in other parts of the world. And that's fair enough. And you can take notes and it's all well and good. But if I was to run a one shot, and you don't have to do it all the time, but if I ran a one-shot and based it in that part of the world and showed you firsthand how this part of the world works and what these people are like and what their culture is and all this kind of stuff, uh, I feel like that's way more informative and makes the world seem like there's way more going on than simply telling you, oh, you know, there's a war happening in this other country yeah. on the opposite side of the sea here. Same thing as like a really old old school filmmaking rule, show, don't tell. Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, and like I was saying, when it comes to one-shots, particularly for new players, definitely go all out don't it, i'm not saying don't put goblins into it or whatever but try to make the main monster or the main boss or something really interesting something that will really make them go ooh, you know yeah. like um like like i said a red dragon throw a dragon into it uh, if, uh obviously appropriately scaled or whatever or or throw in a big a big demon or or anything at all something that will will make the players feel like that was a super memorable monster. Put in a chimera or a hydra or something like that. Maybe not a Tarrasque. Really awesome Maybe not a Tarrasque. Not a Tarrasque. <laughs> not a Tarrasque. We were like level... We weren't that high a level. I, I feel like we were like level 7 or something. <laughs> we were like, yeah, between 5 and 10. And there was like... There was only 3 of us playing. Yeah. So like... To, to my to my credit, he did run a different uh, one shot once where he had the staff block for Slenderman. Yeah, and he that was proper creepy. He did a really good job with that one. Like, see, that's um, that is why what I love about one shots is that you can kind of fit them to anything. Like, um, I'm I'm not any I'm not subscribed to it anymore, but a while back I was um I was a uh, subscribed to Mark Humes' Patreon. He's the DM for High Rollers for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah, and it was around the time when Among Us was really really big. And he did, and he did, and he wrote an Among Us one shot, where it's all of the players in this space station, and one of them I think is a, I think it's like an invisible stalker or maybe a doppelganger, maybe doppelganger. That was it. One of them is a doppelganger. I couldn't remember the secret picture, but like one one of you is a doppelganger who's just impossible. Uh, imperson- I I got stuck between imposter and impersonating. I got to impersonating. Impostinating, yeah. <laughs> one of them, that should be a word. One of them is impostinating. Uh, is impostinating. If, if, if you came to me and you told me that someone was impostinating someone else, I I know what you mean. So this I mean, is, this is true. It contains both of the. It contains the meaning of both words, but none of the intelligence. I mean, the purpose of language is to convey an idea to somebody else, and you know what? You did it. So I mean, I, I feel like you successfully languaged. Oh, oh, oh that's horrible. Don't ever say that again. <laughs> but uh. I mean, I've entirely lost my tread now. Uh, but yeah, sorry, that was it. He he just made like a really awesome like Among Us one shot, and like that's like, that's the exact kind of thing that I love about one about one shots is their level of flexibility where you can literally fit them. You can make a one shot of kind of anything. Like, you could totally go mad, and like you could take Van Richten's guide. If you have Van Richten's guide, you could take Van Richten's guide, and you could pull the carnival out of that, and you could turn that into its own Scooby Doo one shot. 
Yeah, absolutely. You could literally run people through with Scooby Doo, have the whole thing. They're setting up. They can set up traps and plans and everything, like Fred. And you can like Fred have... would be a paladin. Oh. Shaggy would be druid. A bard or a druid. <laughs> druid. Uh... No, do, do you know what? Do you know what? Shaggy would be a beastmaster ranger. Yes. But the player, the player's handbook version of it, so that it's the most useless class. Yeah, and then Fred would be like a. He'd be probably a paladin for definite. I don't. He's the guy who that... ma- he's the guy who makes the traps. I think he'd be an artificer. I would have gone Velma maybe for artificer. Wizard. Or, or wizard, wizard, uh, or inquisitive. Yeah. Um... Yeah. God, I love Scooby. I oh, it would be such a fun thing to do. There was the Scooby Doo Supernatural crossover as like more like a D and D one shot where you just you run it like a Scooby Doo game, but people can die <laughs> and the, and like the creatures are horrifying and not and people with masks. Oh, that would be so good, Chef's Kiss. But yeah, I think like kind of moving on from just from just that bit. I think like again another great thing for D for DMs here is like and for players really is. You can use one shots to test out concepts and see how you like them and see yeah. what you want to change about them to go and and then that can crop up again in in like a later game, maybe the next campaign or even the campaign after. Like I remember, um, shortly either after or towards the end of campaign one of Critical Role, they did a lot of one shots for about like five or six months. They did have, there seemed to be like one every month or something, and they did one. I think it was with Gamespot with Danny O'Dwyer from Gamespot, man with a great last name. Um, but like I think it was Daniel Dwyer from Gamespot, and uh, he no relation, no, 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 none, none at all. He's he's from a, he, O'Dwyer, O'Dwyer from a different county is where is where his latter from. Uh, yeah. But uh, what I what I what, the reason I bring that up is that there was I think that one, in that one shot it was like Daniel Dwyer. I think it might have been Laura, Travis, Matt, and Marisha. I think Matt was running it, and then Laura, Travis, and Marisha were the party members along with Daniel's yes. character. And in that game is I think it might be the first time. Uh, where Laura plays Jester who went on to become yeah. her main character for campaign 2 and like it's literally the same voice tiefling cleric whole shebang exact same and then it just comes yeah. out as a more refined version in campaign 2 and like I think that's such a good opportunity to just experiment for both players and things like yeah it's only a session like pick I don't know like pick a lower bard see if you like it if you don't you're only playing it for a couple of sessions and if you don't and if you, it's not exactly what you want it to be you can probably still find, have a lot of fun just with what bards can do because bards are pretty awesome as much shit as they get yeah I am um, bards are there's like people give bards like the thing is if College you think, of Whispers oh my god like well like low level bards don't have a ton of spells offensively and stuff and they're really a very social based class in terms of like uh, role play and all that um, but I mean, at higher levels, they do get some really cool stuff. College, like um, College of Swords, bars is really really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, College of Valor is decent. Uh, College of Lore is is cool, but again, it's very magic based, and you got to get over those initial first levels where you don't have a lot to work with, but you you will eventually. Um, whispers I like, but the Whispers I find is very specific, mm-hmm. um, based on the situation you're trying to do. But if you're doing like a Thieves Guild or a spy-based adventure or something like that, then a, a Whisperer's Bard would be really, really good. I did, um, just in terms of like testing stuff out, like you're saying, um, I did a one-shot there a while back uh, with Yi, but what I did was uh, so Yi had met up with Aerith's mother, who was mm. a Wood Elf rebel. Sorry, um, I'm just going to interrupt now and say, this was great. I absolutely adored this, and this is such a good way to do a one-shot. Please continue. 
So I, like I said, I, I typically when I do a one shot, I will work it into the world. Um, it, it, it will happen. The events of the one shot will roll in and sometimes determine what happens in the world. Um, like I've run one shots that, um, that have very, very greatly informed how things play out for you guys, my main players in my main campaign that I am running. And I'll run that one shot with completely different people who you guys might never meet and never know their characters or anything like that. But I know that as a, a result of whether they succeed or fail or what they do, mm -hmm. things in your world will play out differently. Uh, I did this one a little bit differently in that you guys basically met Eris' mom. She, uh, through one way or another, she basically found out that the the one of the spirits that inhabits your body, because you're an ancestral guardian barbarian, indeed, is uh, a wood elf named uh, Owen Deer, um, who she knew in life and he doesn't remember his life before waking up as a spirit in your body so she had to fill you him and you guys back in on what happened and rather than me sit there for a half hour or whatever and read out a very long-winded story about the events of a war that happened 200 plus years ago blah 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 um i said right i'm going to send you all a link for the next or for this uh for a new campaign and you guys are going to play out an adventure that is the closing days of the war, and it'll the, the perspective is that you're seeing what happened as she as she did it or whatever, you know. Yeah, a game within a um, game, a game within a game. So yeah, it, it, picture it like um, how, in any how movie very you Hamlet of you. <laughs> but it, it, it's it's like in a, in any movie that you've ever watched where someone is like um, it's it, it so you could have the characters sit down at a table and you could have one character tell them everything that happened. Or you could go, well, it all happened about 20 years ago. And then... The, uh, cut. the Fear Street movies on Netflix do this really well. They do, oh, they, really? They do that very... Like, where like, it'll be characters like, okay, this is what really happened. And they go... And then it fade, then like it'll fade up and then fade back down. And it's like back in the time period where, where they were, they yeah. were going to be tell, told the story. And, 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 and like... So like rather than just tell you or, or have a character play it out or have a single person tell you the narrative, you see you see a flashback. And this essentially served as a flashback one shot where you guys got to play Eret's mom as well as a bunch of characters, like friends of hers and stuff, mm -hmm. and go on this adventure. Um and I thought that was way more interesting um for a couple of reasons. One, because um and we talked about it before, when you're putting a bad guy into a campaign if your players don't meet or see the big boss until the final fight, it mm -hmm. doesn't really feel like there's a lot of payoff. But if they get to interact with the big boss a couple different times, it feels like they have a relationship. And then when they actually face the big boss down, it's like, oh, we finally killed that guy. Um, as opposed to, oh, we killed that guy. Because there's a sense of we've known him a long time and this thing is finally coming to an end. So I wanted to introduce you to a bad guy that is roaming around in the campaign currently. Um, but I wanted to show you what was happening with him, and rather than just have a character tell you he's a bad guy, you, the players, got to play out an adventure where he was the bad guy, and you defeated him, and blah blah blah. Um, so that that can be a really fun use of it if you want to, like, if you're, I don't know, just to take, okay, let's take Critical Role as an example, right? Okay. Let's say when Matt was telling the players in the first campaign about the vestiges of divergence, right? Maybe he said like, oh. There were obviously this isn't exactly how Matt did it, but let's say he said, "Oh, there were, there were seven vestiges, uh, and they were each wielded by a great champion of the gods, and blah blah blah." And he named them all. And then if Matt had gone, "Okay, so 
here you go. Here's your new character sheets. And next week, you guys will be playing these heroic champions fighting in, a, in the, the war for the gods or whatever. And you'll be wielding the vestiges. And then, which could be really fun as well, because then they were like, oh, I just played with that magic item. And now I desperately want to find it in, in our time. Because <laughs> oh, that's such a good magic item. That's but, such, um, that'd be such a like tease. Of, like, uh, do you ever do another thing in a video game where they do in the sequel? It's usually in the sequel to a game where it's like, you finish game one and you're like uber powerful you've all these items mm -hmm. and you're ready to kick ass game two starts you've all of your powers and all of your abilities for all the 30 seconds something happens you get shot off a bridge or the cliff or something yeah. all your powers and abilities are gone and you have to spend the rest of the game that's called um, i think it was yahtzee from zero punctuation coined the term abilities that's what exactly that's exactly oh, okay, yeah. that's like that's like exactly what you're doing there is like Look, this this is potentially out there. You could find this. Look how awesome it is. Do you want to feel how awesome it is again? Get questing. Yeah. But I, like th that could have been a really really cool way to incorporate one. It incorporates a one shot, mm -hmm. which as we've said throughout the video now, one shots are a really good way to break whatever the current narrative is that you're in and just do something totally different. So like you guys, where you are currently in that narrative you were tra doing a lot of overland travel and we were rolling for weather and we were doing a heck of a hex crawl, uh, which I think was fun because we don't do that terribly often, but you know, it's nice to shake it up every now and again. Yep. And then because we've been doing that for maybe two or three weeks, I said, okay, let's break it up. And I said, let's do this one shot. The one shot was all action, nonstop. It was a, it was in the midst of a huge battle between was... giants and humans. Yeah, and it was elves. basically the raid. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And you have, to, you have to scale this cliff into a fortress and defeat giants and uh, and all this other stuff. Like, and it was just a really fun thing. One thing I I thought uh, that was for more so for me in that was that there are certain classes I wanted to test that I'd never had a chance to test firsthand. Mm. Um, so two of them were ones I I was pretty confident in. One of them was an Oath of Glory paladin, a dwarf named Baldwin the Yoden Slayer or the Yoden Breaker. Yeah. Um, uh, and he was an author of Glory Paladin who I've played one before and I've seen them being played and stuff. So I'm like, okay, I know they're a good class. That's fine. The other one was a Nature Cleric, I want to say. Um, was it Nature? I want to say she was Nature Cleric. I, I think so. The Furbalk. Um, um, she was definitely a Cleric, but I want to say she was Nature. I think it was a Nature um, Cleric, yeah. And again, Nature Cleric, I feel like Although I don't feel like it gets picked an awful lot because people are like, should I go Nature Cleric or will I just go Druid and have a ton of spells and all this other stuff? And be able to turn but, into uh, animals. And turn into animals. And, and yeah, exactly. Um, so I think I think people tend to lean more towards Druid in that sense. But um, I still I still think uh, Nature Cleric is pretty powerful, pretty decent. Um, the two ones I'd never seen played out properly and I wanted to see what they were like was a Kensai Monk. Uh, I've never seen anyone firsthand play a Kensai Monk. Um, so I made you play a Kensai Monk in that, and I think we yeah. found that the Kensai Monk was a pretty effective, uh, a pretty effective subclass for monks. Monks, pretty well designed class. Yeah, uh, barring the uh, elemental monk. Um, yeah. We'll save that for our next uh, rant video. Um, <laughs> and then also the Arcane Archer, an Arcane Archer. Yes. Fighter. I have uh, when I read the Arcane Archer, I want for it to be good, much like the Elemental Monk. I want for it to be good so badly, but when I'm looking at it on paper, I'm like, I don't think this. I don't think this will be particularly fun to play, because you're limited by, from level three when you get your subclass all the way to level twenty, you only ever have two uses, I believe. Mm. Yes, yeah, two uses of your Arcane Shot ability. That to me is is. BS. I didn't. I didn't curse, but it, that's exactly what it is, and it bugs me immensely because I'm like, 
at, at, at 17 level plus, you should have six uses of that minimum. You should be lacing arcane arrows all over the battlefield and blowing stuff up and grappling other people and all this. And, and like, and the thing is, the actual types of arrows you can use, not all of them are great. Some of them are kind of like you can charm people with an arrow. And I'm like, okay, I get it's kind of a cupid implication there. I'm not against that. Um, but like, some of them are like seeker arrows. So as long as you've seen the person in the last minute, the arrow will find them. And I love that. Some of them are like shadow ones. Some of them just do force damage. Yeah. And I'm like, and and they're also like 2d6, which isn't huge for most of the time. They scale up when you get to like level 17 or something like that. Or one of the higher levels you get, you get uh, they become 4d6. And I'm like, good. You should still have way more than two of them. It, it, it should probably be, realistically, it should be, and maybe they'll retcon this in a later uh, publishing of the I, other class. Yeah. Maybe, I think it should be, you have a number of uses of your arcane shot equal to your proficiency bonus, because then it scales up nicely, and it should recharge on a long rest. I can't remember if uh, if Arcane Shot comes back on a... I oh, sorry, a short, short rest. rest. So I mean. yeah. It should come back on a short rest. Um, that, that, uh, and I, I had Gavin play it. I actually, I don't think I talked to him afterwards about... Uh, he's definitely listening now. Um, uh, Gavin, if I haven't messaged you by the time this podcast comes out, asking you what you thought of the Arcane Archer, message me now... And tell me what you thought of the Arcane Archer. This is a podcast, not a messenger service, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> yes. Okay. So here it is. Watch. It's um. You get you get more options every mm. time from the list. So you get uh three at seventh level, four at tenth, uh five at fifteenth, and six at eighteenth. And then at eighteenth level, it's actually when you get your improved shots. So like. Uh, let's see, I just shot. like you get I know I know they're powerful and you get lots of options, but I feel like. Like, if two, just like even three would feel better, but like honestly, if I were like when you were saying, you know, you change it, what jumped into my head immediately was four per short rest. Uh, well, it, I just checked, it is short rest, but yeah, it's still limited to two. And then when you get to se- no, sorry, where is that? 18th, 18th level, uh. Yeah, at the 18th level, each of them in- increase in some way, whether they do additional damage or... or, Yeah, they most of them just do additional damage, so it becomes 46 instead of 2, which it is normally. But I'm like, it just bugs me eventually that you still have such a limited amount of them. Um, and also it does that thing that fighters do, which as I think fighters are a great class. So many fighters do the thing at 15th level where they're like, if you don't have any uses of your thing, you get one use back when combat starts. And I'm like... It's fine, but I'd like. I feel like for a fifteenth level ability, even battle masters do it, and battle masters are amazing. Oh yeah. But I'm like, you I'm, can do better. I was gonna say for battle masters though, that's pretty good. Like, cause if you start a fight without any of those dice, something's gone wrong there. First of all, because mm-hmm. you should always have them because you can get them back in the short rest. But like, if if you just get caught out and you don't have those, I would be like, awesome. At least I have one. And I'm going to save that yeah. for the la- for like my action surge round that is also coming, so I can just stack all the damage in one go. Like I, I agree with you; it's a little underwhelming, but I think it could. I think it's still good. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's me just having a bit of a rant. Um, I, I, I do need to check in with Gavin about that. Mm. Um, I, I, I have a, I do have a negative about one, one shots from personal experience. By all means. Um, and that is if you are the forever DM, and I am, um. One shots don't scratch the itch, man. <laughs> like it's it's like if I'm if I'm in the desert and I'm dehydrated and I'm gasping for water, if 
it's like it's like it's like someone is like oh you're thirsty okay here's some water and you gave me a teaspoon and i went <laughs> and i i had that little bit from a teaspoon and i'm like oh god i mean it's helping but i need more i need more right now i need at least a full mouthful like uh and that's what one shots are i love them and i had great fun playing them but i'm like god i just wish they could last five more weeks <laughs> <laughs> which is legitimately something you could do with a one shot you could do a series of one shots even a mini campaign like yeah totally that's basically uh, what um Alexandria limited was exactly yeah um but yeah, that's that's my only thing about them. If you're if you're the first, like I think they're really fun. I think if you work them into something, like I said, um, they can be super beneficial and give your players a different perspective on things. Mm-hmm. You can even do it like I we we came you guys came back from one uh, downtime recently, and when you came back, you had to set up a guild throughout the downtime, and you have a couple of different squads of other guilds members. Yes, and one of the the first squad has named members. Uh, a couple of them are characters you've come across before. Um, and I'm like, at some point, I might just run a one shot for you where you're playing these characters out, out on a mission just for fun, just to get their perspective on things. Um, so, yeah, I think that uh, because I, they're they're fun characters, there's a, I think it's a Battlemaster fighter, uh, Druid, Shepherd. I'd have to look at them again. I think so, yeah. And then there is, um, you remember the cat eyes? Uh, uh, Koali, yeah, um, he is a blood hunter, lichen's rope, yeah, where he's a, he's a were tiger. Oh, god, so cool! And these um, are all yeah, fun like, things uh, you can explore in a one shot. That's the thing, yeah. I, I think one shots are great for testing out classes, or like I played actually in that one shot you ran the Dark Souls one, I played Renyolf, yeah. it was a character I was going to end up playing in Gavin's campaign. Actually, I don't think at that time, but Gavin was running a campaign. But I think I, I was like, I, I knew I wanted to play this character, so yeah. I wanted to test him out. Because again, I, I was playing an Eldritch Knight, and in my head, Eldritch Knights aren't terribly good. But actually, having played one uh, a couple times, like I'm actually like, no, do you know what they do? They hold their own. You might want to take Magic Initiate stuff just to buff out the spells a little bit, but they're they are very good. Yeah, no, it's and absolutely nothing is cooler than your character sticking out his hand and his sword like flying into it and him catching it from across the room. Every, so good, everybody, so good. everybody wants a hammer like Mjolnir. Everybody oh, wants yeah. a hammer like Mjolnir. I had a, a beautiful scene where in Gavin's campaign, it was the last session we played actually, mm-hmm. um, and my, char- I, uh, my character had died in the previous session. So I came back playing uh, Vaskeen, my old character, I read him as, as a rogue, and I came back playing him, and then I actually cleaned up as Vaskeen for the whole, like way more damage and stuff than I'd done as Renyov the entire campaign so far. And I'm like, oh man, at this point I might still keep playing Vaskeen. <laughs> But I I planned with Gavin that my guy would come back, but he did so at the behest of a trickery god and stuff like that. And so there was a whole dark secret going on in the background there. But I was allowed to play him again, but there was consequences. Um, and when, when he came into the room, I had this brilliant scene where Gavin described uh, so one of the baddies we were fighting tried to flee through a door. And when they opened the door, you just he described that you see a shadowy figure standing there, seven foot tall in the doorway. Uh, and you watch as this figure that kicks this person in the chest, follows them into the room as they hit the ground, and stabs them through the gut. Uh, and then it's like, and you see Renyolf, and he's standing there, and he's alive. And they're like, what? And then Gavin turns to me, he's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I look at the, this guy on the other side of the room, and I make a gun for him. And like, I did a whole thing where like, I ran across the room, I left the sword behind, I, ran, I sprinted across the room, uh, I chased him into the next room, and then I just stuck out my hand, uh, summoned the, the, my blade to me, and it came to me in like a red mist. 
um, and I catch it and I spin it around in my hand and I kick him so he's like up on a table and he's like on his back on the table and I skewer him to the table like that and it was just such an absolutely amazing moment where I just came in and just it's I don't know the whole Mjolnir catching your blades Jedi summoning your lightsaber I think it's so bloody cool yeah I got a bit of that with Ariel when I took the Warlock levels and I could just make my giant greatsword just appear in my hand that was so fun yeah yeah oh, so cool <coughs> sorry excuse me but um Connor, I think uh, probably a good thing to kind of come towards the end of our show, uh, end, of, end of this episode, to maybe start giving some advice about how to set up a one shot. What what are some good tips that you can think of for just for someone who has maybe never done a one shot before and is looking to run their first one shot? Um, what are things yeah. they should maybe avoid? What are things they should avoid? What uh, what things you think would be good to stick to or maybe even use as a base for the one shot? Okay, rapid fire. Um, one do use interesting monsters try not to go for goblins or something too simple i love goblins but just try not to make it too basic throw a weird monster in there that's maybe something they've yeah. never seen outside of D before brilliant don't send them to kill rats in the sewers don't send them to kill rats in the sewers if you're doing if you're doing a big campaign by all means kill rats in the sewers or crabs that's what i did um but um uh do, yeah don't do that for a one shot you, you only have four hours to show people that this game is flipping awesome yeah, stop myself again <laughs> Yeah, this awesome. game is, yeah, this game is freaking awesome, man. Uh, by all means, pull all, do, do not pull your punches. And um, secondly, um, be conscious of time. Four hours is not a lot of time. Like, it, 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 four hours may seem like a lot of time. Um, most, you know, to to do a fully self-contained story in four hours is tricky. And um, make sure that you don't pack it with too many combat encounters because combat can take a long time when yes. you when everyone has to roll initiative particularly if they're new players and they don't entirely get how the, it works yet and combat will be the slowest part of the game so just be aware of that put in like maybe one small one at the start then maybe a trap or social encounter and then at the end one big one and that should be loads but again depending on your level and stuff like that you mm -hmm. can you can scale those but i think uh, make sure that what you have can be played out in that time and you'll just know from experience with regards to that and third one then uh be conscious of a solid beginning middle end because when you play a campaign hey if you don't get to it this week doesn't matter we'll, we'll come to it next week we'll we'll go to the next chamber in the dungeon we'll we'll do the combat with the dragon next week we'll identify these items next week blah 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 um, you don't you don't get that in one shot. You get you have to introduce what the concept of the one shot is. You have to go and do the one shot, and then you have to have a satisfying conclusion at the end. Um, so be conscious of, like I said, with a D and D campaign, you should be conscious of this anyway. But you don't have to be as uh, as intricate with it because you have weeks and possibly months and possibly years to to satisfy that story. If the bad guy gets away now, or if this thread is left dangling, don't worry, I'll tie it back in somewhere in a couple of months' time or whatever. But when it comes to a one shot, you need to have a solid beginning, middle, end. So just be conscious of you need to be more careful about how you're writing it mm -hmm. so that you know that at this point the players learn this and at this point the players learn this. It's gonna be a it's it's a much quicker burn than um than and which, you know, might be a little bit to the detriment of the story sometimes, uh, because you want things to be revealed gradually. But sometimes you gotta be like, here's the information. Yeah. Uh, because we only have four hours. I would also say um, on that one as well, uh, it's also fairly likely you might not get everything you've written. Like it Oh. Yeah, actually yeah, there you go. Bon bonus um fourth point. Um feel free to skip stuff. 
if you feel like things are getting towards the end and you're like, oh, we're we're two and a half hours in and they haven't even gotten to the the I don't know spider trap magic lock encounter whatever, um, skip it. Yeah. It, it, if if it means you'll get to an end, uh, some sort of satisfying end before, um, then yes, skip it. Um, like learn how to tailor the 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 session, the the adventure on the fly. Um, pull out bits, rush people through certain things. Um, don't try not to linger on things and just be conscious. That kind of comes back into the time management thing. But um, but yeah, absolutely be willing to tailor your your thing on the fly. Identify what are the important points. Like if if this particular chamber means that they will learn something that will then play into the final boss encounter at the end of this four hour session. Um, keep that part in. Know what you can and can't cut. But if, if you just put in a room full of goblins because you wanted there to be... A, because the DMG says that they should have four encounters a day at this level, cut it. doesn't matter. Yeah. Oh, totally. Absolutely. And I think, like, that's obviously, like, an acquired skill. Like, it's something you get better oh, yeah. at the more you do it. But I think, like, what you were saying, like, definitely, like, plan, like, two to three key things you want to happen what i do, i do this when i'm planning my regular sessions i will before i've written a session i will just write a heading like things that need to happen and then just do bullet points underneath it and i will very briefly and and like high level kind of point out all right this needs to happen this needs to happen and this needs to happen and then i fill the gaps in between and i think like for one shots i think it's a really good way to keep yourself on track i think of it almost like a movie right because it's probably the close stand like you have is a one shot as a movie similar time lengths telling an encapsulated story from start middle and finish to um yeah. to completion in that time frame so like if you think about a movie right every movie has an opening where you introduce introduce the characters in the plot then you have sort of a middle you'll have your, your second you'll have like your second act where things usually get a bit da- a bit da- darker or dire for your characters towards the middle usually kind of there is half. a at the end of the first act there will be yeah. some sort of event that happens that spurs you into action for the second act there's like the catalyst for the second act and then towards the end of the second act second act it'll usually get kind of like um, i'll be like the dark knight of the soul or like the dark the lowest point for our heroes and then by the third act is there just them rising back up and you can take that exact same structure for your one shot and be like okay this is them having fun catalyst for second act maybe there's a monster attack then does a load of damage to the build does a load of damage to the village you go try and find the monster they find the monster Oh holy shit! The thing that attacked the village isn't actually what 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 uh what is the big bad here? That's its kid, and there's a bigger version of this thing living in the cave we're just in. There's the end. There's your third act where t- things look as dire as they can, and the end of the, and the third act ends then with your here with your heroes hopefully overcoming the monster, the obstacle, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I I think about it like um, in terms of what can I say? You'll have like your set it- pieces. Yeah, yeah. You you have your uh, you have your important pieces. Know which are your key elements, like you said. Know what what like for example, take just for talk's sake, take Return of the King, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if for talk's sake, like you you're for some reason short on time, the studio comes to you and it says, "Hey, this movie's three and a half hours long. What the hell's going on? Uh, we need this to be we need to be three hours long instead. I need you to do actually this is a poor example because I'm going to use a no. Okay, I won't. So here we go. So this movie's three hours long um that's that just won't do uh can we have it down to two and a half two forty like sure yeah what can we cut okay well we can't cut the bit at the end where frodo and the ring goes in and actually gets destroyed that's pretty critical to the story we would definitely want to get to that part um 
Can we cut out about 90 minutes of Frodo just staring ominously into space? Yeah, definitely, because there's a ton of that in there. We can absolutely cut that out. Can we cut out the skull fountain and the mountain laughing at them? That seems a bit out of place. <laughs> Although I do love that. I love that in the extended edition. But yeah, you, you just you learn, you just take a good look at your story and what you have and what you want to get, get done and pick out the bits that really are really important to you and kind of make up the key concept or core of your one shot and the impression people you want people to leave with your one shot and i think once you kind of focus that down into two or three key parts then it's a lot easier to fill in the in-betweens with like stuff that makes sense and will clip along at a good pace and make sure you do get that beginning middle end for your one shots because i know it's happened to me multiple times where just accidentally it just happens because people sometimes players start talking to each other in character and they're bouncing between each other and they're doing really good stuff so as a dm you don't really want to interrupt that um because yeah. like that's kind of the whole point of what of your work is to get them to talk in character together so like with a one shot if you're tight in time and that's happening it's you know it's probably gonna leave it longer but like as long as it's like good and they're enjoying themselves i would still leave it run and then just maybe you can adjust other things like maybe if you had like three combat yeah, encounters prepped you have like two small ones in the main one maybe if things are running short or running a little short on time because the, the party have been doing a lot of interacting or shopping or whatever else they want to do maybe cut like one of the smaller combat encounters out give, give them the second combat encounter a little bit earlier and then stretch the time between the first and last a little more and then just lead up to it more i think like yeah just i think that's probably an easiest easiest way to do that what would you say no, one hundred ten percent. Because, like you said, um, and this this goes for D and D as a whole. Um, fun above all else. Like, if people aren't having fun, then mm. the, there is a wrong way to play the game, and it's if you're playing and no one's having fun. Yes, and you need to change up what you're doing. Um, because fun fun should come before all else. Because it is a game at the end of the day. And if you're playing the one shot, particularly with new people who are playing for the first time, mm. you want to make sure they have a good time. You want to make sure you show them the best of what the game can be, so that you know we get more people into the hobby and stuff like that. It's it's great. Absolutely, inviting people in and sharing this with them and stuff like that. Um, so absolutely. So I think you're completely right on that. In in that, um, if you if you find that players are getting into the roleplay thing and you, you're kind of surprised by that because you thought they're all new players they wouldn't i didn't think they'd get into this but here i have three of the players and they're they're talking about their backstories they have for their characters and stuff and they're having a bit of a moment i'll happily cut that goblin encounter in favor of this because because that's more valuable you know, they're them talking as players together is more valuable than the goblin because yeah, absolutely. Because they're they're currently carrying their own story, which is exactly what you want at D and D game. Yeah. As a dungeon master, you want to do like, I don't know, a solid half of the work at least. You want you want to be the gentle guiding hand, and they that just kind of push you. You want to be the Gandalf in the Hobbit, where you just give Bilbo the push out the door, but he's the one who actually takes the steps and goes on the adventure. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, uh, and I think like if they're. You, you don't need to be pushing anyone out the door if they're already talking and they're already doing characters. And they're uh, and they're already at the Prancing Pony having points, finding out yeah. that it comes in points and then telling everyone that you're Frodo's cousin. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what was it? What was it? Uh, Pip says, he's like, he's my third cousin twice removed on my, uh, once removed on my mother's side. That's a, that's a good Pippin, my friend. That's a, that's a good Pippin. <laughs> that's a good Pippin. I was watching, I was watching um, uh, XP level 3's uh, what if the various Lord of the Rings films yes. were the Dean Gibbs? Watch so, XP so to level three. He does amazing content. He does good stuff. It, particularly the ones I'm talking about, he does Fireball. What if, <laughs> he does what if um what if the uh, Lord of the Rings movies or the games or whatever 
games, the movies, the were movies, a yeah. D&D game. Yes. And he talks about them from the perspective of, oh, Frodo and Sam's characters are friends, and they just really want to role-play everything. Uh, but this Aragorn guy, he made a, a very min-max character who's good at everything and has a noble background. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, and, uh, and Gandalf's character, he uh, he he died, he, but he, really he snuck he off played... the solo, kill the boss, and take all the loot and XP himself. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, that Gandalf guy, he actually played in my last campaign, so he's super over-leveled for everybody else in this campaign. Uh, yeah fantastic and like i think you know just as like a closing like the whole point of one chats is usually to have fun and i opened this podcast quoting the words of one ancient philosopher marshall m mathers and i think it's only appropriate as we're getting to the close of this episode of the podcast to quote you have an outro as well no 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 just just popped into my head and i think it's great it's probably not going to be but but humor me the words of another uh great um uh great scholar of our time Robert Esquire Pants, who stated that F is for friends who do stuff together, U is for you and me, N is for anywhere and anytime at all, down here in the big blue sea. <laughs> I think it's the deep blue sea, but we'll leave it off. I don't care. Because <laughs> it was fun, Connor. <laughs> it's all about fun. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, God. Well, Martin. Yes, Connor. I think that's all the time we have for today. I think I think that is yeah. That was that was an awesome episode. I love one shots, so any opportunity to talk about one shots mm-hmm. is always welcome. Um, but it's yeah, one because it's 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 not as much of a commitment as a big campaign. You can get you can get a couple of people together who maybe don't normally have the time for it or something like that. Um, you can be super weird with it because again, it's mostly no strings attached. You don't have to work it into a larger campaign or a larger world. You can be like, um, there's a small town, its name is this, there's a forest on the left of it, there's some deserts on the right, knock yourselves out, here's a, there's a monster. You know, you don't have to, you, you can stretch it out if you want, but you don't have to. Yeah. Uh, and it, it means there's a lot less work for the for the DM and stuff like that. Um, and you can just get, you can get weird with it. You can be like, there's a, yeah, the, the owner of the tavern's a werewolf. Um, and he's got like big mutton chops to symbolize that he's hairy and, were- and werewolf-like. Um Mutton chance, the international of... sign of where of uh, lycanthropy. <laughs> yeah. Uh mutton chops in a in a unibrow. Um werewolves are, like... werewolves are scary in your head, man. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, that's yeah. uh I, I think yes, one shots really, really great. Unfortunately, if you're like me, they don't scratch the itch of the mm. Forever DM as much as I wish they would. But um other than that, they can be so fantastic for exploring character options and maybe you want to play this sort of full campaign but you want to test it out first Mm -hmm. maybe you're a dm who wants to get a feel for this particular campaign i want to run so here's a one shot based in that world and we'll see what it feels like do i need to change anything or edit anything um or just look we're all adults uh closing in on the age of 30 um we don't have time to be playing a full DD campaign for four hours every week but we can probably just get away with doing a one shot here and there by all means absolutely do absolutely so uh if you have any questions comments or requests for episodes uh you can do you can leave us a comment below on youtube or you can, or you can send us a tweet at, at mike flares pod on twitter um you can also find us on facebook uh at, at mike at the mike flares podcast and you can find us on radio public breaker google podcasts and spotify uh for audio only listeners uh connor where can people find you on the internet People can find me on the internet at zero on sorry uh, on Twitter mostly at zero point Connor Z E R O P O I N T C O N O R one N very important and uh, and mostly and primarily you can find me here every six every 
every 6 p.m. God, <laughs> my brain is just not working. Every every single 6 p.m. that ever existed. Um, you can find me here on the Mike Flares podcast every Friday, 6 p.m. Irish time on the aforementioned uh, sites and uh, and platforms. Platforms is the word I was trying to think of. My, God, my, my, my brain is giving up. we got to uh, cut this thing out. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was a second away from jumping in. But yes, uh, you can, if you're looking for me on the internet, you can mostly find me on the internet uh, here on the Mike Flair's podcast uh, every 6pm. <laughs> every 6pm? I did it now. Uh, every, you did it too. <laughs> every, every Friday at 6pm Irish time, just like Connor. Not every 6pm. We are not a turn of the time beings. Um, but you can also find me on Twitter at so sorry it's over, which is the bottom right hand corner of my, of my little window here. Um, and you can also find me mostly on the Mike Flares podcast Twitter account. Uh, if you uh, have any, like I said, any requests or comments or even just memes, I love a good meme. Send them our way at at, at Mike Flares Pod on uh, Twitter. And uh, with that, that'll be a goodbye from Connor. Bye, folks. And it'll be a goodbye from me. Bye bye. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Mike Flares podcast. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.